This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. First of all, on behalf of, hope this isn't too loud, it'll just sound all right. Of, uh, of everyone that's here visiting. We want to thank you brethren here at Alma for giving us this opportunity this weekend. Great time of fellowship and a great time to, to come together and to be with other brothers and sisters that we don't get to be with a whole lot to encourage one another and to strengthen one another. And uh, for all of us that are uh, visiting, we want you to understand we appreciate the work that you put into this, because this is added responsibility. You're, you didn't get, you, work didn't stop, and all of the different things that life brings to you, they didn't, it didn't just stop so you could have a weekend meeting. You took upon extra work and extra responsibility, and we, uh, we appreciate that. And on behalf of the Alma congregation, thank everybody for being here. We all know how encouraging it is to have a meeting and to have a building full of people and, and, to, uh, and to experience something like this, and so I know that I, I uh, am, uh, am right in expressing their appreciation. We have a very interesting subject for this weekend. The leadership has chosen the subject of discipleship. I'll be speaking this evening. James, I believe, is speaking tomorrow, and then Lee, Lord willing, will be speaking Sunday. Lee was complaining the other day about going last, and <clears throat> I told him that uh, James and I, we just got to get on base. He's got to bring us all home. So uh, we're just going to try to get on base tonight, and, uh, and I know that, that, Lee will do, that Lee will do a good job with that. Uh, but the subject of discipleship, I think this is a very timely subject. As we look at our culture today and we see all of the things that are taking place, the changes and the, the, and the morality of our country, the, the price and the cost of being a disciple of Jesus is going up. And we hear these stories about things that happen to people that are standing up for their religious convictions off in maybe California or New York or someplace like that. But there's something that I've noticed about things that happen on those edges of the country. Eventually they get to Alma, Arkansas. Eventually they get to Fort Smith. Eventually they get to Van Buren. And uh, we want to gird up our loins, and we want to be ready for that time. And as we're going to study tonight, now is the time to count the cost. Now is the time to see whether we're going to be ready to pay the bills when the bills come due. And so we're going to speak this evening about discipleship, and we're going to look at a text that the leadership has chosen, and we're going to break it down into three parts. And my responsibility this evening is to teach you to love your family less. Now, you probably don't hear that too often from a pulpit. You know, we always go to these seminars and these meetings to learn how to love our family more, but my responsibility tonight is to teach you to love your family less. Don't get up and leave. Stay for the whole thing. Because what we're going to do tonight, and, and this was a very difficult subject for me to study, a very challenging subject, both personally and to try to convey in a balanced way what it means to be a disciple of the Lord as it, re, as it relates to our relationship with our family. So we're going to look at this evening just some introduction about discipleship and do our reading, and then we'll get right into the study. First of all, if we're going to study about discipleship, we need to know what a disciple is. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. The word learn that you see there is the Hebrew or the Greek root for the word disciple that we're going to talk about. 
And whenever you look up the definition of a disciple, a disciple is probably going to say something like a learner, because that's what a disciple does. They learn. Well, what do we learn for? Well, as we continue on in Luke 6, verse number 40, the Bible says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. We're not learning math. We're not learning science. We're not learning something so that we can take a test, but rather we're trying to learn to be like someone. Not to just speak some tenets of doctrine, not to just spout off a few facts about God and Jesus Christ, but we want to become totally like the person that we're learning from. So whenever we define what a disciple is, a disciple is a learner of Jesus intending to follow and to be like Jesus. Now one of the things that we need to notice that being like Jesus in a world that is against Jesus is going to incur some cost. And the reason we know that is because when our teacher, the one that we want to be like, was here, he incurred tremendous cost. There was great cost. Philippians 2 verse number 8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Obedient to death. We find in Hebrews 5 and verse number 8 that though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. When Jesus was here upon the earth, he paid the ultimate cost, which is death. And all through the time that he was living here on the earth, fulfilling the will of the Father, living in obedience to the Father, the scriptures tell us that he learned that obedience by the things which he suffered. And an interesting point here, the word learn that you see there is that same word that we get disciple from. And so as we learn to be disciples... We are going to incur suffering as we live in a world that is against the one that we're trying to be like. So it's only logical to believe that if our teacher incurred a cost, and then if we're going to try to be just like our teacher, we're going to incur a cost also. But let's be real. It's been kind of nice. <laughs> these last few generations, hasn't it? We've lived in a country that's pretty much endorsed the morality of Christianity, and in fact, there was a time in a community that if you weren't a Christian, you were looked down upon. In fact, it was good business to go to church. But now, we're finding everything just being turned up on, upside down. And here's the deal. We can't wait for our government to save us. We could put our faith in the politics of the day to save us. We have to put our faith in the one that we're trying to be like to save us. And that's Jesus Christ. And so we want to be like him and we want to be a disciple. In verse number 24 of Matthew chapter 10, the Bible says, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? We're not better than Jesus. Jesus didn't come and have it hard so that we can have it easy. Jesus came and he had it hard in order to teach us that when we're going to follow him, we're going to have it hard also. 
And we should not think it, as Peter said, a strange thing whenever it seems like the world is against us. In fact, in my mind, I would say that in the past few you know, years, however many years, we've been living the exception to the rule. When you look at Christianity throughout history, it has always been a persecuted religion. People who have named the name of Christ have always suffered a tremendous cost, and yet we look at ourselves living in relative comfort and affluence. We need to realize it's not always been that way, and it's never intended to be that way. We're living the exception, and we become so comfortable with the exception, when the rule hits us, we may not be ready. And so it's important for us to give our attention to the idea of discipleship and the cost of discipleship. Our reading that the leadership has picked out for us to study this weekend is Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. And we'll read through this and make some introductory comments, and then we'll get into the section that I've been assigned this evening. The Bible says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. The first thing that we want to notice on this occasion, as on many occasions that Jesus spoke, there was a great multitude with him. There was a great multitude. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus didn't come to this earth to draw a multitude of people. Jesus came to this earth to make disciples. And there's a big, big difference. And one of the things that we need to check about ourselves tonight is, am I just part of the multitude that's running in the group with Jesus to see what the next cool thing is that he's going to do. Hey, the other day we had bread and fish. Maybe today we'll have tacos and nachos. You know, that type of thing. Wow, the other day, did you see that great miracle where he turned, I wonder what he's going to do next. And that's the way people are today about following Jesus. What's the next great thing Jesus is going to do for me? That's not discipleship. That's just being a groupie. Discipleship is someone who commits themselves to be like Jesus to count the cost. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, go into all the world and gather a multitude. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves tonight, are we just part of the multitude? Or are we seeking to be a disciple? And then Jesus goes on to say that if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you need to sit down and you need to count the cost. So here Jesus has this great multitude of people, and it almost sounds like he's trying to run a bunch of them off. (laughs) He's not trying to run a bunch of them off. He just wants to be real with them. 
Just like we want to be real. He says, you better sit down first and count the cost. Do you really want to do this? And then he goes on to say, he gives three cannot be my disciple statements. Cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple. Well, what are those cannot be my disciple statements? Number one, if you don't love me, or if you don't hate your father and your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, and your own life, you can't be my disciple. If you don't bear your cross and follow after me, you cannot be my disciple, and which whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. So imagine you're in the multitude. You wouldn't hear this at the closing of a service whenever you're offering the invitation. <laughs> okay, if there's anybody in the audience tonight that wants to hate their family and bear the shame of the cross and forsake everything that you have, come down to the front and have a seat on the pew while we stand and sing. Yet that's what Jesus is doing here. He wants them to understand the reality of what it means to be a disciple. And those are some big costs. And the one that I've been assigned to talk about tonight is hating your family. And we want to show from scriptures just what it means to hate our family. And again, as I've gone through this and I've evaluated myself, and I want you to evaluate yourself also, but I think there's some points that scripture can show to us tonight that maybe we're sitting here and we're not even realizing that we love our families more than we love Jesus. Well, what does he mean by hate? And we all know, because this is the first thing that everybody points out when that verse comes up. Now, that doesn't mean that you hate them like you hate liver. You just get sick at your stomach and you detest. That's not what that means, and we all know that that's not what that means. In fact, whenever we look at the scripture, we find in Romans chapter 9, verses 12 to 13, speaking concerning Jacob and Esau, after the Lord by his sovereign will and according to his purpose chose Jacob over Esau. In Malachi 1, verses 2 and 3, which, which Paul quotes, he says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jacob he loved and chose Jacob for salvation and Esau he hated and condemned Esau to hell? That's not what that means but rather it's just simply stating that in the choice of who was going to be the seed through whom the promise was going to come, God made a sovereign choice that it was going to be Jacob instead of Esau. And so by birth, Esau was the older, so by birthright, Jacob should be serving Esau, but God made a choice, and that choice was Jacob over Esau. And the thing that we want to highlight in this is that this love-hate that he's talking about implies a choice, a tangible choice. It's not just some visceral feeling that you have about something, but there is an actual choice that is being made between two things. And the one you choose, you are said to love. And the one you don't choose, you hate. The same with Jacob and Leah and Rachel. We know that he loved Rachel more than Leah. In verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, that's the same uh, Hebrew word that he uses in reference to, to, uh, to Esau. 
that he opened her womb. In the King James Version, it says that Leah was hated. So whenever we see this love-hate, understand that it is a choice between two things. And the choice of one over the other means that I love this and I hate this. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, a lot of times we'll look at that, well, I don't, I don't serve mammon because I don't hate God. Well, it's not hating God in the sense that, again, you detest God and you're against God. And, we, you know, I love God, so I'm not, that's not what that's saying. What it's saying is you really... Love them both, but you're just choosing one over the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve two things. You can only serve one thing. And when you try to serve two things, one thing is naturally going to take precedent because whenever you make decisions concerning those, you have to have a beginning point from which to base your decisions on. So am I going to manage my money by God? Or am I going to use God to get money? You're going to choose one or the other. And so what the text is saying is you can't serve two. So we could say you can't serve Jesus and your family. You're going to have to choose one. And so whenever we look at the love-hate relationship as it relates to discipleship, as you consider your priority list, and I consider mine, are we picking Jesus over our family? Are we hating our family? We're not hating our family in the sense that we're at enmity against them and we detest them. We're just loving them less than Jesus. Or are we loving our family more than Jesus? And we need to understand that this love-hate is the choice between two loves. You can love. In fact, you should love both of them. You know, again, it's not a choice, like I said earlier. I use food examples, so, you know, if I'm going to choose between a good old-fashioned hamburger, oh, man, they're good. I love them. And liver. I hate, now, that's, I detest that. I mean, I just get a visceral, sick feeling about that. That's not the kind of choice that makes me. That's not the choice. That's not the choice that we're making. The choice that we're making is that good old hamburger and that good old barbecue. We love them both. But we got to choose one or the other. And whichever one you choose, you love. And whichever one you don't choose, you still love it. But you just love it a little less. And that's what we're talking about whenever we're looking at our relationship to our family as it relates to discipleship. And so while we say tonight our objective is for you to love your family less, it's not for you to not love your family but it's for you to love your family and for me to love my family less than we love Jesus. Whenever you look at the context of hating the family here, in Matthew 10, 34 to 37, Jesus said, whenever I came to the earth, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter, against his mother, against his daughter-in-law, and against his mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whenever Jesus is teaching this, he's teaching this in reference to family that is an enemy to your faith. In other words, 
you want to believe and follow Jesus, and the family says, no, we don't want you to, and we're against you. You've got to make a choice. And some of y'all here tonight have made that choice. You've had to make that difficult choice of severing family relationships in order to follow Jesus, and God bless you. And so whenever we see the context that Jesus is speaking this in, he's talking about a context of loving Jesus and hating our family when our family is at enmity with the faith. And whenever we reject our family because they are an enemy to the faith to follow after Jesus, that is a very honorable expense to pay. And God bless you for paying it. A lot of us, it would cost us if we didn't follow Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. But we do want to recognize and honor those of you who have severed family relationships in order to follow Jesus Christ. So the cost of discipleship with an unbelieving family, that's pretty cut and dry, I think. Not that the decision is easy, and not that the ramifications and consequences of that are easy, but it's, you know, Follow Jesus or not follow Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. But there's another context that I want to look at in reference to discipleship in the family, and that is the cost of discipleship with a believing family. You mean to tell me that there's a cost of family involved when all of our family believes? Absolutely. In fact, I would even say it's an even more subtle danger that when the whole family is on board, that we have to be aware that we not fall into the trap of putting our family before Jesus in the name of discipleship. Let me say that again. That we don't put our family before Jesus in the name of discipleship that our family becomes an idol. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that can become an idol to us. And a lot of times things become idols in our lives without us even realizing it. And I think in some instances there is the danger of our family becoming an idol to us and we put our family before Jesus. Not that we don't love Jesus and not that we quit going to church and we, you know, we don't, that's not it. But our allegiance is greater to our family than to Jesus. Here was an interesting statement that I read from a blogger. He writes about Christian things, and he said, one of the acceptable idolatries among evangelical, evangelical Christians is the idolatry of the family. Now think about that for just a moment. One of the acceptable idolatries among evangelical Christians is the idolatry of the family. Well, I thought God was all about family. And I thought that since God is all about family, if I just give my heart and soul all to my family and I love and serve my family, I'm fulfilling God's will. No. God is not all about family. God is about family. But he's not all about family. 
And we deceive ourselves into thinking that we take all of our time and our energy and our resources and we immerse it into serving our family and we get together this trophy family and we tote them around all over the place for people to see. We put them on social media. That God is so happy with that. No. No. Anything that is an idol, anything that supersedes your allegiance to Jesus Christ, whether it's a rock in the corner or your family, it's wrong. It's wrong. And we're very, very careful not to allow a rock in the corner to become an idol, but it's real easy to fall into the trap of our family becoming an idol. You see, it's the choice between two loves. Well, how do I know if my family is an idol? It's just, look at your calendar. (laughs) Look at your calendar. What do you see on your calendar? How do you put together a calendar? Do we take all of the kids' school activities and the school calendar and then we plug it in and then we, okay, here's a place we can put Jesus. (laughs) Here's a place we can put Jesus. We can put Jesus here. Oh, well, well, you know, we want to be good parents and we want to give our kids the best. And so we rationalize and we stumble through trying to make the best decision when really we know what the best decision already is. We just don't want to make it. Look at your time. Where do you spend your time? Where do I spend my time with my family? Does my calendar have meetings and and, and studies and visits and events that are servicing the Lord, servicing the people of the church? Or am I spending all of my time serving my family to the neglect of my responsibility to the Lord and the Lord's body? Where's your money go? Look at your checkbook. Those are two things that will not lie about your priorities, <laughs> your calendar and your checkbook. Where does your money go? Are you spending all of your time trying to earn all of this money in order to provide for your family a, a, a good living? And all the time you're providing for them a good living, you're neglecting to provide eternal living, spiritual living, What about your energy? Your body doesn't lie. When was the last time you were wore out physically from doing something spiritual with your family? It's real easy to get wore out sitting at a ball field all day long. It's real easy to get wore out, you know, running kids and chasing kids. But when was the last time you were wore out because, boy, that weekend at Alma just took it out of me? Or, wow, that service that we did the other day for, for that widow, that just really took it out. When was the last time you got that kind of tired? You see, whenever we look at our time and our money and our energy, it tells us what our priorities are. It tells us who we love first because you can't serve two masters and the one you love the most is the one that's going to get all of this. So are you serving your family or are you serving Jesus? How can I tell if my family is an idol? I asked several people this. Well, how can you tell if you're putting your family before Jesus? And here's some things that we come up with. (laughs) Act 
active involvement in congregational work and development is sacrificed for the pursuit of family interest. How many times have, has your church been doing something, but you had a family obligation come up and then you, you couldn't be there? Now, I understand those, and again, I understand those things happen. But when they happen consistently, where in every decision that's made, when there is a conflict between my congregation and the Lord's work and, and a family act, if I'm consistently going one way, we can't deny the reality of it. And if we find ourselves, again, sacrificing the work of the church, sacrificing the work of the Lord and the ministry to saints for family interest and family pursuits, maybe I'm making my family an idol because they're the one getting all my service. We want to protect the sanctity of family time to the exclusion of engaging others who need service and encouragement. This, is, this challenges me. I like my family time. <laughs> I love having my family together. Whenever I was growing up, would ask mom and dad, what do you want for your birthday? Oh, I just want all my kids to be around me healthy and happy. And I used to think, you can't do any better than that. It's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but I realize now there isn't much better than that. Having all of your kids there and having that time of being alone together with your family. But if we don't share our family and we don't share our family time with other people, you know we could be making our family an idol. That we, this time is sacred and nobody else can be a part of it. You see, as Christians, as time goes on and we see the breakdown of families, in our evangelism and meeting people, we're going to find a lot of people who are alone. We visited with one this, after, this, this morning, completely estranged from her family, just looking for some place to be, joining this group in town, joining that group in town, just trying to find someone to connect to. We need to open up our families to people like that and let them in and not look at our, our family as an idol that is sacred that everybody else has to keep their hands off of, but look at our families as tools in the Lord's ministry. We compromise doctrine to accommodate family sin and error. That whenever someone in the family is in sin or in doctrinal error, all of a sudden we have these epiphanies about how these things that were wrong for so long, all of a sudden they're okay. We become enlightened doctrinally. And not to say that sometimes when you get in a moment like that, it does shake you and it causes you maybe to take a look at things where it can awaken you to truth, but it can also cause you to compromise and make excuses and not make the hard decisions that are necessary to uphold the morality of Jesus Christ. That we view the church as an instrument to serve the family more so than seeing the family as an instrument to serve the church. That we just take our family with us and we plop them on some pews and we expect the church to serve them because after all, that's what I do. 
Instead of incorporating them in a congregation and teaching them responsibility, teaching them service, teaching them that, yeah, people aren't perfect and you have to stay in situations sometimes that you don't want to stay in in order to persevere and to demonstrate the love of God, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That it's not about who can give us the best coffee. That it's not about who can give us the best entertainment. But that we use our families in service. And how about this one? You'd rather tell people about your family than about Jesus and his work. <laughs> it's a big temptation. And, I'm, and, and again, don't walk out of here thinking, oh, don't say anything to Jay about our family. <laughs> That's not it. That's not it. But... You, you get the picture. You know what I'm talking about. That we'd rather tell people about our family than about Jesus and his work. And it, and it is, you know, you know, in all these verses that I've read, it doesn't say anything about grandkids. It's always... <laughs> So, you know, and when you've got the greatest grandkid in the world, you just want to tell somebody. It's a temptation. It's a temptation. But we have to understand that we love our families. But we have to be very careful in how I think we present our families. Because if we present our children and our grandkids as the greatest thing on earth... You know what's going to happen to them when they grow up? They're going to begin to believe they're the greatest thing on earth. And instead of us being so concerned about building self-esteem, which I don't think we have a whole lot of problem with these days among our youth, we need to be building God-esteem, teaching them some humility, teaching them to have a spirit of, of service and care for other people instead of everything just being about them. We're raising a generation of narcissists. And that's our own fault because in many instances we've set them up as an idol. If people were to look at your social media and look at my social media, would they learn more about our family or would they learn more about Jesus? <laughs> and I debated long and hard whether to say that, but it's the truth. It's the truth. <clears throat> this is how Jesus looked at his family. His brothers and sisters and his mother came standing outside and they sent to him calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him and they said, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now a lot of us, if we were with a group of people and our mothers and our, our family, was, we'd probably just drop what we were doing and go out and see them. Not Jesus. Of course, Jesus and his brothers, I don't think, were always on the same page. But notice what Jesus said. Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? He looked around in a circle at those who sat around him and said, here is my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of God. 
You see, the closer we get to Jesus, the stronger we become in our discipleship, in following Jesus, the closer we're going to draw to other disciples of Jesus, and we're going to look at them as family, as Jesus did. Let's look at the cost of discipleship and neglecting our family. Neglecting your family for the sake of discipleship is not an honorable expense. You know, we've, we've gone now from the, the ones that put family up as an idol, but then now we're going to go to those who immerse themselves in, in, in service to the Lord and following the Lord, and they do so with such singularity that the family's over here saying, remember us? Remember us? And it's important that in our discipleship, in our following after Jesus, and in our zeal to do the Lord's work, that we don't become so consumed with trying to save the world that we don't save our families. Those that are closest to us. And I know what the thought is. We just take it for granted. I mean, after all, they're living in the house with super Christian. They can't go wrong. Yeah, they can go wrong. They can go wrong. And all the while we're trying to save everybody else, if we do it to the negligence of our family, don't step back and say, well, that's just the cost of being a disciple. That's not a cost of being a disciple. That is sin. That's sin. Because Jesus didn't call you or call me to neglect my family to follow him. He called us to love them less. And there's a big difference between loving them less and neglecting them. You know, Matthew 15, here speaking concerning the hypocrites, whenever Jesus was uh, speaking to their ideas, God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whosoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, that he need not honor his father and mother, Thus, you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So the idea here is, is that if they had something, they could just simply say, well, I'm going to give this to God. This is a gift to God. And so since it's a gift for God, I'm going to do it in service to God. I don't have to do what God told me to do to you, which is to honor you. Kind of like neglecting your family in the name of discipleship. Now, I know that whenever Jesus was speaking this, he was speaking this in the context of how the hypocrites used it, but I think the thought is still the same, that people will think, well, if I'm doing this for God, then it just, you know, it makes everything else okay over here. No, that's not how it works. There has to be a balance. There has to be a balance, because whenever the Lord calls you to be a disciple, one of the first obligations that he gives you to be in being a disciple is your responsibility to your family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I know this is said in the context of supporting widows and everything, but we could probably argue from the lesser to the greater if you're worse than an infidel because you didn't provide for the widows of your family with maybe material means, well, you're really, really bad 
If you don't provide for the wife you've been entrusted with, the children that you've been entrusted with, provide for their spiritual needs. Worse than an unbeliever, denied the faith. Let's look at our discipleship with the family, just briefly in closing. Ephesians 5, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Notice in all of these uh, familial responsibilities how that Christ is at the center of it. Well, how can a wife be subject to her husband as, as the church is to Christ if she, as a part of the church, has not subjected herself to Christ? So in other words, that subjection to Christ needs to precede her subjection to her husband. So she does this so that she can do this. She doesn't do this and say, well, there, I'm good. No, you do this. You subject to Christ. You be a disciple of Christ so that you can be the wife that you need to be. You see, whenever we subject ourselves to Jesus, whenever we become disciples, we're going to become better fathers. We're going to become better husbands. We're going to become better mothers. We're going to become better wives. We're going to become better children. I can speak personally for myself. I I became a lot better husband when I began to really understand what Jesus was all about. Now, I said a better husband. I'm not going to say I'm good. I'll leave that up to Laurie to decide. Don't ask her. Don't put her on the spot. (laughs) And hopefully she'll say that I think I'm doing better. But (laughs) Because you do. Because Jesus gives you the eternal reasons. I want my wife to love Jesus more than me. And I want her to love him more than me for selfish reasons because she's going to be a better wife. (laughs) And she wants me to love Jesus more than her because that's going to make me a better husband. Our kids should, you kids should want your parents to love Jesus more than you because they're going to be better parents. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Of all of the mission fields that we want to tend to in our discipleship of Jesus, understand that your family is your first mission field. And that we are to love love our wives as Christ loved the church. So the better I become as a disciple of Jesus, the better I'll love my wife. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents in the Lord. What exactly does it mean in the Lord? Well, obviously, one of the things that it means is that whenever they tell you to do something that God tells you to do, you want to do it, and if they tell you to do things that, you know, are are not of, of the Lord, you know, you need to have a respectable conversation. But I think also we can see in this in Colossians 3.20, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now I'm all about kids wanting to please their parents, but even more so, we should want our kids to please the Lord. And so in seeking to please the Lord, we can see how that would enhance 
their obedience. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. All of this family stuff is about the Lord. It's centered on the Lord. And by loving Jesus more than we love our family, it will ensure that our family will get the best. And isn't that what we want our families to have? We want our families to have the best. And the only way that our families can have the best is by everyone in the family being a disciple of Jesus first. And then turning to their family and doing the service that God calls us to do. So relish being number two. (laughs) I want to be my wife's number two. I don't want to go much lower than that, but number two. You know, whenever you get those little sweetheart texts, next time you send a sweetheart text, you do it. I know you do. We do too. (laughs) Have a great day, honey. I hate you. You're number two. (laughs) Hugs and kisses. And after this meeting, hopefully that'll just warm your heart (laughs) and make you feel like, wow, that's great. That's great. I've never, ever heard the word hate and loved it so much. To give ourselves undying to the Lord. You know, whenever we think of our families, we would give our lives for them, wouldn't we? Without a thought. Without a thought. I'll have to think about that. But for some reason, whenever I think about dying for Jesus, (laughs) do we have that same uncompromising, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And if we can't, then we need to count the cost. And we need to be ready and to gird up our loins. So in closing, what are some of the takeaways? First of all, being part of the multitude and being a disciple of Jesus are not synonymous. Don't be content with being part of the multitude. Anybody can be a part of the multitude. Anybody can run and follow behind Jesus to see the next cool thing that he does. That's not a disciple. Discipleship comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. You know, probably... You know, I never, well, towards the end, got concerned about maybe losing my job if I had to take a a stance of conviction towards something. And I think that that's growing even more so. That in the workplace, if you don't buy into some of the ideologies that are being forced upon us, you might lose your job. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to walk away from your livelihood for Jesus? Are you ready to go to jail for Jesus? I'm just waiting for the day that it becomes, you, it, you, get, you know, you get your hate speech laws to where we're up here and we're preaching God's morality and somebody catches wind of it and then somebody comes to the church and says, you can't preach that anymore or you're going to jail. Are you ready to preach and be handcuffed and taken away? You know, that seems like something that's far away but yet a lot of the stuff that we've been hearing lately, it seemed like it was far away too, didn't it? Are you ready to, ready to pay that cost? And we must count the cost again before the bills come due. 
Now's the time to make that decision. Yeah, I'm ready to go to jail. Yeah, I'm ready to lose my job. It's not when it gets here, now's the time to count that cost. We're to love Jesus more than our family, and evidence of such would be borne out in the choices we make consistently. What do your consistent choices say about your love for Jesus and your love for the family, for your family? And we can make our family an idol and love them more than Jesus. And whenever we talk about loving our families less, we're just talking about loving our families less than Jesus. We want to love our families as much as we can love our families, but just make sure that we love Jesus more. And neglecting your family for the sake of discipleship is not an honorable expense. There are many a sad parent today who gave themselves and gave their lives to the ministry whose children are no longer in the faith. And you see that not just you know, uh, among our congregation, but I'm just talking Christianity. I mean, some, some very notable religious figures and speakers that we see on TV and that write books, their children, you know, they, they left. They don't believe. And so we need to understand that that's not just the cause. That's not a cost of doing business for the Lord. That's just neglect and sin. So I hope as we've looked at this this evening that you'll evaluate yourself I'll evaluate myself in our love for Jesus and our love for our families. And we want strong families. But we don't want families that become idols to us. We want families that serve the Lord. We want families that serve our congregations. We want to open up our families and make them instruments for God's glory and not for our personal worship. You know, we always put Jesus above everything. And whenever it comes to that point, okay, I've got a child that wants to do this, but I know that Jesus says this. Be ready to make that hard decision. Be ready to make those tough choices that show your fidelity to Jesus above all things. And if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian and you want to love Jesus more than your family, and you realize that the uh, eternal blessings of bearing the reproach and shame of the cross, that that is a a worthy way to live, and that you want to forsake all and come and be a disciple of Jesus. The congregation here would want to help you and assist you in that through obedience to the gospel, to become a child of God and be added to the body of believers. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, and maybe something that we've looked at you sit there and you think, yeah, I love my family more than Jesus. Yeah, I have set my family up as an idol. And I want to love my family, but I want to love Jesus more. And you want to repent and you want to come in contrition to the Lord and before this congregation for help. We'd be glad to help you. We'd ask one or more to come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.